0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. You should be following him on Twitter. You should be following him on all the social media. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And conspicuous by his absence, yet again, your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, who is gearing up for the New York Knicks playoff run.
1: Uh-huh. Hard hard to believe as that is.
0: Uh, it's a wild time right now. He's been traveling
1: a little bit. We hear that he's hanging around the garden trying to get a word in. We'll say, as Drake once said, uh, what a time to be alive. Uh, and I'm going to add to that if you're a New York Knicks fan. Oh,
0: absolutely. I'm in my glory right now, but I don't want to count my kegs before I tap them. Still allowed basketball to go, but New York forever, as always. We have something to look forward to, as we do on this podcast, because Pat and I are going to be breaking down everything that you need to know about in the land of sports. So we want to interact with you. So definitely hit us up on those hashtags, hashtag ODPHpod, and definitely swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Podchaser. You name it, we are there and always interact because we need to interact with you because we like talking with everybody. There's a lot of stories to break down this week. Mm -hmm. So let us kick off with the biggest event going on this week in the land of sports. And this is UFC 262 Uh taking place this Saturday night, May 15th. At the In Houston, at the Toyota Center. Uh-huh.
1: And what makes this card so big, Pat? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, wait. No, I do know. Uh just occurred to me. Uh, you have two fights taking place in this, both in the main event and the co-main event in the lightweight division, and this is the first, allegedly, uh, post-Habib lightweight division.
0: Correct. Now we're going to crown a new champion in the deepest pool of the UFC's fighting ranks. Mm-hmm. 155, the lightweight division, is always stacked. It is not... An easy division to take over and run through. Habib did it with a lot of style and a lot of just pure skill dominance. Uh I mean, you look through the track record of, of who he's fought, and he is absolutely just mauled through that entire division. So, obviously, after his last fight, he decided to hang up the gloves. Allegedly. Allegedly, for now, because you know fighters are never fully retired. Not until seen. they reach
1: a certain age, and then you're like, yeah, you know, you're not going to fight again.
0: Right. But for now, Habib is left. And I, in my heart of hearts, I do think he's gone for a bit. I, I think bet. there has to be somebody really out there that would draw him back into uh-huh. fighting.
1: Like, like a Rocky-type situation where it's like, okay, yeah.
0: Something in that variation. Like, I think if him and GSP were to actually do the grapple match of all grapple matches. Oh, God. But I don't have any interest in seeing it unless... You know, I need an an energy drink
1: or two to get through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like unless something really can sell me on this, I just I don't. GSP at this stage, obviously, one of the greatest welterweight champions of all time, and has definitely moved on to future endeavors. And Habib to go from lightweight to welterweight, that is
1: quite a jump. So the only way I'd want to see that fight is if they were to ban uh, Lion Pry. Like you got to stay on your feet the entire fight. Like that's the only way I'd want to see that fight because let's be honest, love GSP, love Habib. Two of the greatest fighters of all time, but let's face it, that fight would be like 25 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever and ends up being of just lay and pray and we'd all fall asleep.
0: Exactly. There's nothing to really be exciting about because that was always one knock on GSP that you just ground, yeah. you ground an opponent and just completely dominate him with yeah. wrestling. Yeah. So like I say, if you're into grappling fest, that might be a dream match for you. Not for me, though. I'd like to see the fighting. I'd like to see the mixed martial arts really take hold. Rock'em, sock'em, robots. And we're going to see that this weekend. And obviously, we're going to just talk a little bit about the co-main because Tony Ferguson is returning Mm -hmm. against Benil Rouge. Now, that does have some possible title implications Uh because, as we know, Tony Ferguson has had a very unique journey in the lightweight division.
1: Uh, Often bit by the injury bug.
0: Yes, he has definitely been bit, and obviously when he was supposed to fight Habib for all the years, five or six times, five times, it is five time, five bit,
1: time, five time.
0: It was always cursed for whatever reason. I tripping mean, tripping on a cord in their house. Yeah, I mean, just there'd be a freak blowing the knee out. There'd be a freak injury that would happen left and right. So, for Ferguson though, since his last performance against Justin Gaethje. Uh, there's a lot of questions.
1: Yeah, that and then his uh, he lost. He got knocked out by Justin Gaethje at UFC 249. That was in May of 2020, uh, and then in December of that same year, he lost by unanimous decision to Charles Oliveira.
0: Yeah, he just hasn't looked right since Gaethje and Oliveira just just completely tore him apart. So now we have him against Arush. Mm-hmm. This is a make or break fight for him, I think. In, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. That obviously Ferguson was the guy in this weight class that should have got a title shot. Obviously, fate took a different turn for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you look at Gaethje, he's definitely got an argument to be in that title contention, in that, you know, that co- coveted number one ranked position for all that it's worth. Mm. You know, but you and you look, he's beaten the likes of Anthony Pettis, you know, uh, Dos Anjos, Edson Barbosa, Josh Thompson. You know, but that, like we said, you know, he's got the losses with Gaethje and Oliveira. So, like, you have to win this fight because if you're going to talk this talk and you're going to walk this walk that you are the toughest MF-er, in that division and then you know the, the division runs through you you can't have that talk and then probably lose
0: yeah it's just something that he, to stay in this fight game especially in this division you got to win to stay yeah. relevant yeah any loss i mean it's just amplified that much more i mean if he loses this week to
1: Darouche, it's over in my opinion like, essentially yeah unless he unless he comes back from that and has like a wild uh like 10 second in knockout in the first round
0: well, he would have to either do one of two things if he loses. I mean, if he loses at lightweight, he's got to vacate the division and go to featherweight.
1: He, and, he, and But I don't see him doing that. No, and for him to even get back, if he loses to get back in the, like the title contention, the lightweight division, he'd have to go on a like he'd have to go on like a, 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 a Ngannou like run where like he's not just beating guys, he is knocking them out in handed fashion.
0: Yeah, he definitely would have to do something that deal because, like I say, if he was going to drop to featherweight. I don't know how he would do that. I don't believe he's ever fought that weight class. If he tries going back up to welterweight at 170. Well, and
1: without knowing what he walks at normally, like if he if he walks around normally at a weight that's above the lightweight division like limits, mm-hmm. there's no way in hell he's going to drop down to lower than what he already walks around
0: at Yeah, because I think at this stage, if if you're not fighting the elite of the 155s, you want no part of 170. No. You might have a better shot at 145, but that's an extreme weight cut. I don't want to see him do that either. Yeah. But that might be something he has to look into. I mean, it just depends on where he's walking at and where his team feels he's comfortable fighting because if he doesn't get through Darush, you have to look at those options. And if, like I said, if he goes up to 170, sure, he could hang there. But then again, that is a division full of killers right now. Uh Uh-huh. So how would he go to the elite level there is anybody's guess but on the flip side DeRouche if he pulls off the win that's huge for him that's a big big move I'll for say him
1: because i'm looking at his uh record uh in 25 professional matches he has a record of 20 wins four losses five wins coming by knockout uh, eight by submission, seven by decision, and then for the losses, he's been knocked out three times and submitted once. Uh, he's got one draw on his record. He's currently on a one, two, three, four, five, six fight win streak. Uh, and But the thing of it is, is, I'm sure these are some of these are names that you recognize, but as somebody who is not the most well-versed uh, MMA fan, I've heard of absolutely none of these people. So so for uh, Darouche, if he comes in and knocks out Tony Ferguson, that is a rather large uh, peacock-sized feather in your cap, sir.
0: Oh, it would be a huge move for him. And I think for him to get this fight, too, as he is currently the ninth-ranked fighter in the UFC mm. in the lightweight division okay. to get the shot against the number five, that's a huge move to say, leapfrog.
1: I say, if he ends up beating Ferguson, something tells me that rank is going to get bumped up a few places.
0: Oh, he definitely would. I mean, it'd be a huge step up for him. I mean, and there's nothing to sneeze at in that top ten. As we're reading right now off the UFC's webpage, number one is Dustin Poirier, two is Justin Gaethje, yep. three, Charles Oliveira, yep. four, Michael Chandler, okay. five, Ferguson, yep. six, somebody named Conor McGregor. I've uh, never heard of him. Nope. Seven, Rafael Dos say, I got
1: going uh, the guy before Dos Anos sounds like a bum.
0: Yeah. Number eight is Dan Hooker. Yep. Benil Darouche is nine, and Paul Felder is ten. Okay. And then you have some up-and-coming guys like Rocheyev sure. and, and Jill Gillespie. Sure. So those ones, I mean, would be the ones you'd have to watch later. But for Darouche, this is a huge move for him that yeah. you almost have to see, okay, are you ready to take that next step up? Yeah. So with all that being said, Pat, who you got in this one?
1: Uh, I'm going to say in an upset, Darouche, because uh, I'm just looking at it. Like I said, he's on a like five- or six-fight win streak uh but then you look uh so his one he had a fight against drew Dober. he uh submitted with a triangle armbar performance of the night his next fight uh was against frank camacho who he got he beat by a rear, uh, rear naked choke uh performance of the night uh after that was a gentleman by the name of drakar close who he knocked out uh, and won performance of the night you sensing a trend here mm-hmm. uh the only one he didn't get uh Performance of the night was his next one against Scott Holtzman, who he knocked out with the spinning back fist. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, the Judas effect. Yes. Uh, and he won that in a catchweight bout because Derouche missed weight, so didn't win performance of the night there. But then his last fight against Carlos Diego Ferreira was a split decision where he won
0: fight of the night. So, dude's on a roll. Yeah, Derouche will hang there. I mean, he's going to be step up. He'll be game for this. In my opinion, though, I think that Ferguson realizes the matter at hand. And I think that for him... He knows what's going to happen if he loses.
1: Well, and I think what might be good for him—it's it, it, a double-sided coin. Like it sucks for him because now the huge payday and the huge like feather in his cap, and if he was if he were able to beat Habib, is now gone. But on the flip side, I think that's also a good thing for him because you know that obstruction is out of his view path. Like that—that that giant brick wall is no longer in the path of his vehicle moving forward on his career. So now that won't be as much of a distraction. It won't be looming over him and having pressers where reporters constantly ask him, when are you going to fight Habib? Uh, well, You're looking to fight Habib. Is Habib the next guy you want to fight? Like That's not going to be hanging over him. So now he can maybe finally focus all of his attention and focus on the fights at hand.
0: Well, that's going to be something he's going to have to look into. But I think that now that if he wins, he gets thrusted into that bigger pool with the Justin Gaethjes again if they want to do that possibly the loser of Poirier and McGregor, yeah. that could be in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, there's a couple of up-and-comers that are coming up in that division, like Akcheyev, mm-hmm. yeah. that is trained with Habib and his camp. So that is a possibility for a fight there too. I mean, it depends on f- how fast they want to skyrocket him up the ranks. Yeah. But for Ferguson, I feel that he's going to win because I think that he's going to be knowing the pressure that he's in, and he's going to want to make sure that people still think he's relevant. Yeah. And I think that from the coming out of the Gaethje fight and then going against Oliveira, there's something when you're in those battles, and we talk about this all the time, when you go in the cage against a Diego Sanchez or a Diaz brother, mm-hmm. that there's certain fighters that you get in there and you get into wars with. And we always kind of throw that a little too loosely when we're talking about these fights. But that was just straight up back and forth for five rounds and it got very nasty. In the time when he fought Justin Gaethje, Ferguson was in a war about this and came out very, very badly because Gaethje tore right through him. And I don't think he ever fully recovered from that.
1: No. I mean, the thing for Ferguson that he can, you know, put a little feather in his cap too, is it's definitely a legitimate fight. It's definitely a great fight for him. He's no slouch. I mean, in his last 10 matches, he's only had three fights go the, dis- go the distance and go to decision. So it's either knockout, submit, or all right, decision. So, and for me, it, for him, it's like put up or shut up.
0: Exactly, and he's going to have to. But I think Ferguson, this is where he rises to the occasion. I think DeRouche is going to be game for this fight. Like I said, this is not going to be a complete 30-second knockout. No. But I think the more that Ferguson can apply that pace that we know he can, and he has a gas tank for days – I think he's going to give Darouche a little fits, especially being in the co-main event slot. It just depends on how Darouche feels about being up there and can he handle that pace. Right. I still think there's a little bit of run left in Ferguson that now that he's coming off those two bad losses, he knows what's at stake. He's going to go for broke. And then we'll see what happens after that.
1: Because he turned 37 back in February, and he's got uh, 30 matches under his belt stretching. And this is just professional fights. Mm -hmm. This ain't even amateur or semi-pro. You know, his first professional fight was back on April 12th of 2008. Yeah. You know, so father time is not your friend, sir.
0: No, definitely not. So for right now, it's either put up or shut up. And I think for Ferguson, he's definitely going to show up for
1: this one. Yeah. That being said, though, we go to the main event. Yeah, so that's, again, like I mentioned, is another fight in the lightweight division where you have Charles Oliveira taking on Michael Chandler. So this
0: one is definitely intriguing. Uh Uh-huh. Charles Oliveira, Dubronx. The man has quietly put together one of the most impressive win
1: streaks you don't know about. Uh, Yeah, in 39 professional matches, he has a record of 30 and 8. He has won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 fights in a row, beating the likes of uh, gentlemen such as Clay Guida, Jim Miller, uh, and some dude we just mentioned called Tony Ferguson.
0: Mm -hmm. He has been on an absolute tear. He's fluctuated between featherweight and lightweight, and right now he has been on a
1: legit tear in that division that not a lot of people are talking about. I was saying in that entire run I mentioned, he didn't get performance of the night once, and that was a fight where he knocked out Nick Lentz on a UFC fight night in May of 2019. Every other fight I mentioned for his win streak, he has won performance of the night.
0: Yes, he is an absolute fantastic fighter to watch. More of a submission specialist, but he can throw those hands.
1: Submission specialist, you, with 19 submissions as his listed as his win, you wouldn't say he's a submission specialist, would you?
0: Yeah, I, I know, but that's why I say a lot of people are sleeping on him I because he's a knockout guy. Because the thing about Oliveira is he's not a big flashy fighter. No. He's not somebody that's going to go in a presser no. and drop sound clip after sound so clip.
1: So he, he's not a, you know, my balls are hot.
0: Exactly. He's a guy that's literally going to go in there and perform. Some days he wins, Sometimes he doesn't. Like I said, he's fluctuated between featherweight and lightweight. And he's more comfortable at this weight class. I think it's a better one for him. Mm-hmm. But he has arguably his biggest task to date in one Michael Chandler, uh-huh. who has finally arrived at the UFC. And I will say on record, I think he had the best debut performance of anybody who has been signed from another company. Yes. To the UFC. Yes. Because he absolutely destroyed Dan Hooker.
1: Yeah, he uh, knocked him out at the beginning of the year at UFC 257, uh, knocking him out in two minutes and 30 seconds into the first round and earning him a performance of the night bonus. Yes.
0: And with Chandler's pedigree from Bellator, you knew that he wanted to come in and make a big statement. I know the minute he got in and got that win, he was calling out he wanted a title shot, and he had a legit argument for it. Oh, yeah. Habib did not want to take that fight. And I'm not saying Habib be him. I want to make that sure that's very clear. But now we have two guys that are definitely worthy of the title shot. I know that Dustin Poirier should have got it, but he decided to go for the money with Conor McGregor, in my opinion. That's his prerogative. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now we're going to have a new lightweight king here. Yeah. Chandler, impressive wrestler, definitely great on his hands. Can definitely give Oliveira some fits. And as we touched upon, is a submission specialist. He can stand and bang a little bit too. Yeah. All that being said, Pad, who you got? See,
1: this is tough for me because, like we mentioned, uh, Oliveira, submission specialist. But at the same token, Chandler uh, has 10 not wins by knockout, 7 by submission, 5 by decision. Uh, and in of his 5 losses, only 3 are by knockout and 2 are by decision. So, you, obviously, the game plan for Oliveira, I think, is going to be to take him down and try and submit him. But uh, Michael Chandler, in looking at his Wikipedia page... Does have a bit of uh, wrestling experience, so being on the ground, uh, he was a Missouri State High School uh, School Activities Association runner up. Uh, so he was a championship runner up in two thousand four. He was a member of the All Saint Louis team in two thousand four, uh, and then for college, he was a uh, Division one NCAA Division one All American. He was a Big Twelve Conference Championship runner up in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. He was the University of Missouri wrestling team captain from 2007 to 2009 so and he's got a uh, one two three different awards for wrestling in in college so the dude's got some wrestling experience it's just has he faced anybody's uh wrestling caliber that uh, Oliveira has I'm gonna say probably not like it's gonna be close but I think it's gonna be one of those like late round finishes
0: I definitely see this going to the third round at least Unless something happens where Oliveira gets caught with a punch. Yeah, it could happen. It could happen. I mean, we've seen this happen with the best of fighters. This is going to be a fun fight, even if it goes to the ground. Because the question I would have is, How is Chandler's Wrestling going to handle the ground game of Oliveira?
1: In case you're wondering about the reach, Michael Chandler has a 71-inch reach. That's 180 uh, centimeters for those of you using the metric system. Uh, And then on the flip side, Oliveira has a 74-inch reach or 190 centimeters.
0: Yes. So this is where we're going to have a real good competition. And like I say, as a fight fan, I'm excited about this.
1: I'm going to say probably Oliveira. I would
0: are you going Oliveira? Yeah. I'm leaning Oliveira too. That I think Chandler, I, take nothing away. If Chandler comes in and, and beats him outright, I don't have an issue with yeah, it. I'm not. Yeah, I,
1: I think uh, Oliveira's going to win, but it's not going to be one of those losses for Chandler where it's like, oh, you took a knock with this loss. Like, right. He's going to come out looking like a basket of roses.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that Oliveira could sneak out the win because, like I say, a lot of people are sleeping on him. And he is a favorite, though, according to the Vegas odds, according really? to UFC.com. Uh, Oliveira is a minus one thirty-four. Chandler's a plus one ten. Interesting. So I think that is very interesting. If that giving Chandler more motivation, this is going to be a fun one, though. But I think that ultimately Oliveira might catch him sleeping a little bit. And what I mean by this is he has one of the trickiest ground games in all of MMA. He might get Chandler in a lull that just yeah. late, late in the rounds, you're thinking something's going to happen. That's usually when he pulls something off out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's lightning quick about that on the ground. So for Chandler, I think his best option is to keep this on his feet and make a striking match. If oh, he, absolutely. If, if he does, it's going to be an early night because I don't think Oliveira wants to get into the, one of those battles with him. I just, don't, no. I just don't think that you know he wants any part of that. So I think that Oliveira's best idea is to get this to the ground. I think Chandler's going to want to test his skills there. Mm-hmm. But that is something that I can say. When we get into the later rounds, yeah. that's when you really got to start thinking, okay, What's Oliveira gonna do?
1: Yeah, Oliver is definitely gonna have to drag this out and get him to the ground and kind of wear uh, Chandler down a bit, just mm. because this isn't a case where like you can wear him, you can have him on the ground and then lay on him for a couple of a couple of minutes and a couple or a couple of rounds, because he's still gonna have that energy to like, all right, stand back up, boom, uppercut, and you're on the ground. Yeah. You know, but if Oliver is able to keep him on the ground for a couple of rounds and really wear him down and like to the point where it's like, all right, I can fight you, but I don't have the energy in my arms to throw a punch and knock you out confidently, then it's in Oliver's pocket.
0: It should be. And then the question after that becomes, who's next? We do know that Conor McGregor is fighting Dustin Poirier. Mm -hmm. We do know that Justin Gaethje is just patiently waiting for a fight to explode on, to paraphrase (laughs) Mr. uh, Chris Jackson. And then there's also some up-and-comers that are in that division that, I'm not saying they're going to leapfrog into title contention, but you have to keep an eye on them as well. Yeah, I think the smart money is – Justin Gaethje gets the winner of Chandler versus Oliveira. Poirier fighting McGregor. Listen, one of two things is going to happen there. Poirier wins. He's going to be in that title contention again. But he had the chance and he decided to go fight Conor instead. So yeah. I don't think that he needs an instant reward per se. But if he did get the fight, I wouldn't be mad about it. Poirier is amazing. Right. But I think that you also have to give Gaethje the the nod here because for Gaethje, he is just waiting Right and and like part of me I think should have been in this contention talk yeah wasn't okay is what is but you're giving him time to just get better because the camp he's at with yeah. Usman yeah. and Ngannou that's a uh, one of the nastiest camps in MMA right now
1: well and maybe depending on whoever wins this fight between uh, uh, Chandler and Oliveira that's who you give Gaethje just because I'm I'm looking ahead Poirier isn't fighting McGregor until July 10th mm-hmm. and even if you wait to have uh uh, uh Guy, we were just mentioning Gaethje. Mm-hmm. A, a Gaethje name left me for a minute there. That's all right. Uh, if even if you don't have Gaethje, wait until after that fight. That's a long time.
0: It's a long time, and I don't think anybody's going to want to wait that long. No, and I think at this stage too, you can't wait that long. You have to hit the ground running, and you definitely have to get those fights moving because I know a lot of times when you have champions that are delayed for fighting for whatever reason, you know, it becomes an issue where your divisions get log jammed. Yeah, and especially in the lightweight division. This has happened before when Connor was champion. Yeah. And, I mean, how are you not defending your belt? I think either one of these gentlemen are going to want to defend that belt right away. Yeah. Gaethje's the fight to make, and then let the chips fall where they may after that.
1: I mean, I'm just looking at card. Maybe so they could throw, If depending on, obviously, there's no medical suspensions and stuff like. There's no injuries after the fight if uh, whoever they would put in this fight with Gaethje is healthy, there is a UFC Fight Night card on June 19th with only one announced uh, fight on it, and that is one. Uh, it's in the featherweight division between one Dan Ige and Korean Zombie. Throw it on that card. It's possible. Make it real fun.
0: It could definitely happen. I mean, they're starting to stack up the fights going into the summertime. A lot of stuff to look forward to. So UFC 262 is going to have all those storylines and then some. So who is going to be the king of the lightweights moving forward? Is it going to be Oliveira? Is it going to be Chandler? And then who's after that? ODPH Society, I asked you that question. So definitely hit us up on those hashtags. Let us know what's your thoughts going into UFC 262. And you know we'll be live reacting on twitch.tv slash 6 7 podcast this weekend. So stop by the chat and let's let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll
2: be right back podcast recommendations, you ask? Brian Wayne here, co-curator of The Apotalypse. And I know that sounds gnarly. That's because it is gnarly, man. The Apotalypse. What is The Apotalypse? The Apotalypse is a culmination of the gnarliest podcast, independent podcast, the internet has to offer. So instead of trying to go to Twitter the next time you uh, need a new podcast to listen to and try to get Twitter famous, podcast recommendations, please. Just think The Apotalypse, man. And... It's ironic because the Apocalypse is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Just go to podchaser.com. It's, it's in the top list. The top list in the whole world. So whether you're looking for true crime, sports, uh, role-playing, uh, well, I don't know, anything. Anything. Think of a podcast. It's on the Apocalypse. It's like the Apocalypse with a D. Hmm... And do not forget to follow The Apotalypse on Twitter as well. Once again, that is The Apotalypse. If you're looking for a podcast recommendation, The Apotalypse is sure to have something for you
0: coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling.
1: Now, this past week,
0: AEW had their blood and guts match Mm -hmm. on Dynamite, over Mm -hmm. a million views, so congratulations to those guys. Mm -hmm. So, Pat, let me ask you this. Was the match everything you thought it was and then some?
1: I mean, I didn't watch the match, obviously, because I don't watch AEW, but for all intents and purposes, it sounded like fans enjoyed it, which was good. You know, if you're putting on a product and you are a fan, of that product you want to enjoy it at the end of the day that being said uh i know that we've said it before and i'll say it again whoever's on production work on that company needs to step their game up because it was cool and it and admittedly i got the notification from bleacher report of course they're homers so i expected to get a notification from bleacher report right. on my phone about AEW. but i got the notification about uh mjf pushing chris jericho off the top of the cage i was like oh all right that sounds cool i'll give that a watch you know, I always enjoy watching a guy get thrown off the top of a cage. <laughs> so I watched the clip, and he gets thrown off of the damn thing. And, and you got Jim Ross, borderline bog out, you know, broken in half type of type of thing, where they're really lamenting on, oh, my God, they pushed him off onto the steel plating. Oh, that could, that could have ended his career. And then whoever was producing the show decided to cut to a camera that showed the underside of said, air quotes, steel plating was cardboard.
0: I agree with you. The production on AEW, I just struggle with yeah. week in, week out. Yeah. That at this stage in the game, they need to fix these problems. And yeah. yet we haven't.
1: Yeah. I mean, we. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, WWE's perfect. They're not. But at least when WWE has something gimmicked to where it's supposed to break or it's supposed to bend, you know that it's gimmicked. You know that it's fake, that it's oh, it's supposed to do that. But at least there's some you know level of believability that, like, on the on the surface you know okay that's fake but it still looks violent as all hell because you know oh oh he hit them with that steel chair but that oh damn it that looks like a real steel chair or whatever it ends up being you know if WWE were to do this that would look like on both sides to be real steel plating and and whoever was producing wouldn't go oh cut to the camera that shows it's cardboard underneath
0: it's just something that they have not mastered the craft of doing on TV for whatever reason. Like, we touched upon this lately on 607TWS on twitch.tv slash 607podcast, Rich and I did. And they still are not getting everything better. And why they haven't pulled this off yet, I don't know. I just don't understand this.
1: No, I don't either. Like it's, it, and it's not even one of those things like, oh, a wrestling veteran would know. It's like, no, anyone with any amount of like television or film experience would know, hey, you want to avoid the shots that show kind of behind the scenes you know the inside baseball and i know there's people that enjoy looking at that stuff in movies and in tv and that there's entire websites devoted to it but like in a wrestling match like okay yeah the occasional slip up will happen where oh you know like i remember there was the one match where roman was supposed to be bleeding open and byron saxton got caught handing him a a packet of quote-unquote blood Mm -hmm. like i get that that stuff happens but like there's still that like you had to slow the footage down and really look and, and catch it to notice it. But like, it's real hard to sell a guy falling onto steel plating when you show blatantly show the cardboard. Like you could tell that it wasn't quite steel plating, that it's not like the actual genuine article, but it really takes away from it for me when you show the other side of it. That like, yeah, this is an actual steel uh, board.
0: Absolutely. This is something that whether it was on six or seven TWS, I was in the chat. For the hashtag shows wrestling show, talking with those guys about it as well. And they brought up the great points too about the production. That's something that talking with wrestling fans this week mm-hmm. has been the general feedback from this match. Yeah. And that's the point I'm going with about this. Everybody's talking more so about the production yeah. than the actual match.
1: Because by and large, if you watch enough wrestling, you can tell when stuff is gimmick Like WWE, you know that they're gimmicking the ring to implode on itself when it's not the usual video turnbuckles. That like I know there's been a couple of RAWs where about halfway through the night, I'm like, oh, we're gonna get a ring exploding. Portion of this show because the ring uh, corners aren't the normal ring corners. Yeah, but exactly. Like, you, you can tell when stuff is gimmick. You are like, all right, that's supposed. You know, that's how it's supposed to happen. You know, Christ, the what was it? The one where Braun Strowman ran through through quote unquote the LED board with well, who was it? Bobby Lashley or whoever the hell it was.
0: I believe so. Or...
1: You know, there was a rumor that like I remember the match. Though. They're, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is how they're supposed to get the new uh, entrance way." You know, them breaking through. Like, okay, that was gimmick to happen that way. I don't think it, the electric sparks and explosions would happen quite that the, the way they did. But like, it's gimmick. I get it. It still looked awesome.
0: Yeah, it's just something that at this stage again we talk about with Revolution and how the debacle with the uh, barbed wire uh, uh, death match yeah. went. That now we have another. Big event, a lot of people are tuning in for, and yet Mm -hmm. the production fails yet again. This is something that for AEW they need to fix moving forward, and I hope they get it right sooner than later especially because they just announced and we do have the press release right in front of us Mm -hmm. that they're going back on the road for live shows so they're gonna be starting uh for dynamites the dates that they have announced via their press release they have sent to us is wednesday july 7th they're going to be in miami at the james knight center okay they're going to be on wednesday july 14th at the heb center in cedar park texas so in the austin area and then wednesday the 21st they're going to be at the curtis colwell center in garland texas outside of the greater dallas area so this is their press release if anybody's looking for information for the those tickets ticks.com. so for them to go on the road and especially be doing this in front of live crowds they really got to put this together and really fix it so i mean that's the underlying bottom line feed yep. to this, because this should have been something to really be selling about the match was entertaining if you ever seen war games yeah you've basically seen this it was just a little more violent in certain aspects in comparison to some of the stuff that nxt has done mm-hmm. involving war games so It still was a great match, just the ending is flawed because of the production.
1: Right. And it's and it's the same reason we said with the exploding light bulb barbed wire match, you know, you can have the world's greatest wrestling match of any federation, of any promotion in any time, past, present, or future. That it could be the greatest match of all time, but if you have a shoddy ending and the production isn't there, that's what people are going to remember more than the actual match.
0: Yeah, I believe it was Vincent K. McMahon per Bully Ray that said, nobody remembers the match, they just remember the finish. Yep. Yet again, it strikes again here. But speaking of the WWE to switch gears, they're coming off the heels of Face and Blood and Guts. Now we come into a pay-per-view event. that's going to be on the Peacock Network this Sunday. Yep. Pad, you want to break it down
1: for us? Yeah, so that is uh, WrestleMania Backlash taking place uh, this Sunday in the (laughs) Thunderdome. Uh, So going to go over some of the matches uh, and give our thoughts on what we think is going to happen. First of which being a Lumberjack match taking place between Damian Priest and The Miz.
0: So this feud is still continuing on from the Bad Bunny scenario that happened at WrestleMania. Damian Priest beat John Morrison to call his match last night. The stipulations, they kind of threw something in there for Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. So this match should be interesting. It's going to be a clusterfuck. I mean, it's, it's it's anytime that you have a Lumberjack match, it is what it is. But... This should still be Damian Priest to win. Obviously, he's been on a roll since WrestleMania. I don't see anything stopping here. No. And then we go on to the next for him.
1: Yeah, uh, which I yeah I definitely think Damian Priest is going to win, or this is going to be like a no contest because shenanigans and with yeah lumberjack match. You know, this feud's probably going to go on for a little bit. You know, which is fine. It is what it is. Uh, next up for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, you have Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode defending their belts against Dominic and Rey Mysterio. So this one.
0: I know they've been hyping up a little bit that there's never been a father and son tag team champion yeah, in WWE.
1: That I can re- remember off the top of my head, yeah, probably not.
0: So I think that we are going to see that on Sunday. I mean, the one thing about SmackDown's tag team division is it is forgettable. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because they have the Street Profits on there. Yep. The now reunited Uso brothers yep. are there. You have the Alpha Academy, which, I mean, Chad Gable's been doing his best work since he had Jason Jordan by his side. So they do have a division, but they never spotlighted any time. No. And now, yet again, we have a match that really is flying under the radars because, honestly, I don't really understand why Ray and Dominic are number one contenders, but, hey, here we are. Yeah. And, I mean, I believe they won a fatal four-way to win the titles, but, like I say, it's so forgettable, I just don't even remember the match.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't even remember it either. I mean, but that's the thing. SmackDown, unless it's been New Day versus the Usos a couple years ago, like their tag team division, and the same can be said with Raw, where the tag team division is there, it's got a couple of gems and it's got some good matchups, but outside that, like there's really not
0: much. Yeah, so this one I think would make the sense for the Mysterios to win, so I think they're going to in a title defense change. So I'm all, but I'm all for that.
1: See, the thing, the only thing is, is that anytime WWE likes to announce these, oh, there's never been blank. Yeah, they tip their hand before Sunday, like. Probably seven out of seven times out of ten, that thing doesn't end up happening. But no, I, I think it's gonna end up being uh Dominic and Ray, just cause Rey Mysterio, father, son, you know, doesn't have that much time left, I would imagine. You know, give him the belt run and give him that moment with his son.
0: Yeah, which I mean that'll be a cool moment when it
1: happens. I'm not gonna be
0: mad about that. No.
1: Next up. Uh is a matchup for the Raw Women's Championship where you have Rhea Ripley defending her belt against Asuka and Charlotte Flair.
0: Uh yeah, be not against Rhea Ripley or Asuka. Nope. But I know that Charlotte is now interjected in this match. For like the ninth time in her career. It is what it is. I understand Charlotte Flair is one of the best women's wrestlers mm-hmm. on the planet. So I get that aspect and that she should be around the title division. However, I wouldn't mind seeing a little break and just have her do something else and then come back. Because yeah. it always seems like she's in the title picture yeah. no matter what. And obviously yeah. for who she is and she's definitely earned that spot. I just think it's kind of cool when they step away for a little bit and then they come back, just so you give somebody else a chance to really take the belt and see what they can do with it. Obviously, Ray Ripley being champion, that is a big deal right now, and I don't want to see her go one and done and then give it right back to Charlotte. However, they did something weird on Raw, Shocker to nobody <laughs> that during the opening match, which was Asuka and Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke taking on Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Charlotte. Yeah. Alexa Bliss came out on stage doing the whole possessed uh demon with the swing and the doll and you know, whatever you want to define that as. Yeah. And she was there saying that she was watching somebody. Uh-huh. And she really alluded that she was watching Charlotte. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering, is she going to interfere this
1: Sunday and cost Charlotte the match? Maybe. I mean, Charlotte, the whole thing with Charlotte, like, I agree with you. She's one of the best female wrestlers and best overall wrestlers on the main roster today. You know, and even she was so like, I. it's good to see her have the success she's had. But her constantly getting interjected into these main title belts is turning into some of the some of the gripes I have with like you know people have like Sheamus versus Randy Orton for like the 25th time. Mm-hmm. You know, or John Cena versus Randy Orton for like the 117th time. Right. It gets old after a while. I mean, kudos to the person on the Squared Circle subreddit who brought up, this is like at least the third instance that this has happened. A couple of years ago at SummerSlam, the match for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship was announced as Natalia versus Becky. What went on? Natalia versus Becky versus Charlotte. Mm. And then at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, it was supposed to be Ronda Rousey versus the man, Becky Lynch. Well, that was announced. What happened the night of Ronda versus Becky versus Charlotte. Yeah. And then you have this one, which was announced. Rhea Ripley versus Asuka. And what's going to happen on Sunday? Rhea Ripley versus Asuka versus Charlotte. Like, don't get me wrong. It's cool to see her win belts. It's, you know, that's fine. But like, it's just way too much. It's just
0: a little too much. And I think that at this stage, let Rhea get some time to run with the belt. Because obviously with that little tip off they did with Alexa Bliss, mm-hmm. I really don't have any interest in seeing Charlotte as champion versus the contender Fiend Bliss.
1: I don't know. I don't want to see Charlotte as champion again either. Like don't get me wrong, I don't mind seeing her win, but just when she's getting interjected this much, yeah, it get it gets old for me. Yeah, so we'll just
0: have to wait and see how this plays out. I mean, I fear that Charlotte's going to win the belt on Sunday, and that's the direction they're going to go in. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed for
1: you know how Vince likes those old hands.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, he he does go to you know what he knows is the opportunity as she's mm, going by. So yeah. and I mean, like I said, Charlotte is a worthy champion. I get why. I just don't like seeing her interjected how she is in this storyline. But yeah. let's see what happens on Sunday.
1: Uh, and then next up, you for the SmackDown Women's Championship, you have Bianca Belair defending her belt against Bailey.
0: Match of the night. Potentially. I'm already calling it. There is no way this match is going to fail. This is going to be awesome to see. Bianca Belair pulled off the great win against Sasha Banks at WrestleMania. Now she's facing Bailey mm-hmm. in, in the Backlash match. Like, this is perfect. Yeah. So, like I say, for Backlash to get this match, it is phenomenal to see. And, like I say, they're going to put on a hell of a performance, but there's no way that Belair is one and
1: done. No. no, no, especially with all the all the focus and kind of quote-unquote press she got after her big win at Mania. There's no way she's a one-and-done. I agree with you. This has got potential to be match of the night. I'm even going to go so far as to say this will open the main card uh, after you get through the pre-show and whatever they do with that. Uh, this will this will open the card and really give it a hot start and get the fans really amped up and going.
0: Good luck trying to follow this up because uh-huh. this one, just give them 20 minutes and let them go. That's, yep, that's, all, I say. that's all you need. Yeah. Next
1: up. Uh, is for the WWE Championship where you have Bobby Lashley defending his belt in a triple threat against Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman.
0: All right. I am just not excited about this match.
1: I'm excited for this in the fact that it's a triple threat. So that means pretty much anything goes. Uh, I'm excited just to see how how hard hitting this match can be. Because all three of these guys, rather large, rather strong, rather muscular. Uh, they can destroy some shit. And I am excited to see them destroy some shit.
0: I'm excited to see it happen, too. I just think that for this match, Lashley is going to go over. I don't. Probably. I don't think you're going to give the belt back to Drew right now. I think that Lashley has done enough that he is really having a nice run as champion. And I think it works, even though I still think it's egregious that they got rid of the Hurt Business. Yeah. And one of the biggest faux pas WWE's done in a long time.
1: I mean, listen, MVP and... Lashley didn't want it to happen. They they've been vocal that they tried they went to events and tried to get him to change his mind.
0: Yeah, and I fully think they were in the right about that because to break them up, I think it really hurt Raw. And as mm-hmm. you can see in the in the storylines going on right now, I think it does hurt a little bit. But for Lashley, obviously him winning over Braun, I think would be a big move. And I think that that's how this ends. I think he gets the pin over Braun. I think they keep Drew out of it somehow. I'm not saying there's going to be a run in because I don't think there is. But I think we're going to have a decent match out of them. Yeah. So, But for me, being excited to see this, I'm just kind of like, eh. I, it almost kind of feels a little too predictable. Because like yeah. I said, I don't see them giving Drew the belt back. And I don't see them giving it to Braun right now. No. Not to say they wouldn't do it. But I don't see how they're going to pull that one off per se.
1: I could see him giving it to Braun if you have a point in the match where Braun gets quote-unquote taken out and then you just have Drew and Bobby beat the holy loving hell out of each other mm. to where they're just both lying in the ring, can't get up. You know, you've got the announcing going, oh, my God, who's going to win? The, you know, both both guys are out. Wait a minute, it's Braun. You know, Braun goes, you know, picking the the meat off the bones kind of a deal where he you know, a little opportunistic, like, wait a minute, let me take advantage of this situation and, and give it to I can see it that way,
0: maybe. It'd be the smart play to do, but I'm taking Lashley on this one.
1: Yeah, Lashley's probably going to win, too, although I wouldn't cross out some sort of shenanigans happening where somebody runs in. Yeah, something could happen. I mean, I just just don't know who, and I don't know how they would set it up, per se. Yeah, who knows? Uh, And then in your main event, you have, for the Universal Championship match, Roman Reigns taking on Cesaro. Well,
0: one of two things is going to happen here. The internet is going to lose their mind Sunday night if Cesaro wins. Or they're going to lose their mind if he loses. Or they're going to lose their mind if he loses, but if it's in a good match and it really delivers, I think people are going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it. Since Roman Reigns has returned to the WWE with Paul Heyman by his side, he is must-watch TV. Facts. You can talk all the ratings you want with AEW, but I'm sorry. The fact that Roman carried an NFL audience to SmackDown and held them, and they drew... 3 million that night. Yeah. That goes to show about what Roman brings to the table. He is everything that is the franchise guy of the WWE and rightfully so. He is the draw. He is. I know Sammy Callahan fans are going to get at me about that, but he is what makes you watch SmackDown and he delivers each time. The work he's doing now is great to flip the coin. Finally, Cesaro is getting his time to shine. Mm Mm-hmm. After the huge win over Seth Rollins, he has now got himself in a title match for the first time in a long time. Oh, yeah. So now we have to see how this pays off. They did the great storyline about how they took out Daniel Bryan and Cesaro was the next guy up. They've been really setting this feud up great. Jimmy Uso just came back to join his brother, and we don't know the storyline going to happen there. Is he going to just go and join suit, or is he going to rebel against Roman for the yeah in that whole storyline? There is a lot of moments that are involved with this match. Oh yeah, and it's exciting, and it has me guessing how is this going to play out.
1: Well, and Roman's been on one friggin' hell of a run because I'm looking at his uh, page on ProfightDB.com. And in the you know his last legit loss, and I'm not counting the uh, Royal Rumble uh, where he in uh, 2020 where he didn't win that, but his last legit loss uh, because he did have a loss earlier uh, earlier this year, late last year, but that was a DQ loss, so yeah, it doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. But his last legit loss, of the cor- at least according to the page I'm looking at, was against King Corbin, uh, and that was at WWE TLC on December 15th of 2019. That's crazy. Which is not now. Granted, I realize there was a stretch of time where he was gone because of his own personal uh, health and safety. Mm-hmm. But still, the man has not lost in quite some time.
0: Yeah, so I could see him winning here, though, and oh, he's I, he's gonna win. You know, the only way I see this changing is if Jimmy Uso accidentally super kicks Roman, mm, maybe, or does something that it's accidental. Maybe. It looks like, and then we'll see what happens. I I could say this. I think Roman wins outright. Yeah. But, if they give the belt to Cesaro...
1: well, oh, the internet's going to explode.
0: The internet wrestling community is going to lose their minds Sunday night. Twitter might have a little breakdown. It's going to get wild for a good stretch of a couple days. They might do an immediate rematch on Friday night, but it won't matter. If Cesaro
1: wins... Dude. I think the way they could do this is Cesaro loses on Sunday... But not because Roman straight up, straight up beats him like ref bump refs out, uso interference you know starts super kicking Cesaro all over Hell's Half Acre, you know Roman starts concerto and really messing with him. Ref comes to one two three, so then uh cesaro is written off for a little bit of time you know just like sell the injury like oh you know he took a real beat and he's got to take some time off to really nurse his wounds and come back mm. you've already had kevin owens on talking smack say hey don't forget me i'm coming for that belt have kevin come in fill in for that time because i don't think i think if wwe is going to give cesaro the belt be for as long as people wanted to see him champion and see him win a belt that large in this company they're going to save it for Summerslam when there are potentially going to be fans in the seats
0: they'll do that or they have somebody else lined up like i'm not doubting because as we talk about vince likes to go to the old reliables mm-hmm. i don't doubt we see rollins versus reigns Ooh. at Summerslam.
1: heel versus heel that'd be good
0: i don't doubt we see that i'm just throwing that out there the
1: promos would be awesome
0: Oh yeah, well I mean, obviously you got the whole Shield history you can bring up, yeah. and they can go a lot of different directions with it. But I'm just saying, I think Roman's not going to lose unless it's like a quick hiccup. I mean, Roman been...
1: versus Rollins, they might be holding off for Romania, though. Well, I don't. I see. I don't as, think as big stretch... as as big as that would be, I think.
0: I don't think they'd stretch it that long. I just I don't. But I but that would be a huge match. I'm Cause not. I saying don't because
1: would... I don't think when Rollins had his heel run, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think he and Roman ever faced off against each other for the belt.
0: No, they're on different shows.
1: They were well. They were on diff- they were on different shows, and then Roman was out for a while with injuries and such, and then Rollins went out because of his injury. Yeah, it would be something to pull off, and I wouldn't mind seeing
0: this. But I think that at this stage with how both characters are, I think this would be a great idea to do. Yeah, and that's why I said I think they would do it for SummerSlam. I don't think they would wait till Mania because I think. It's a lot of time to draw out. Yeah. And plus, I mean, we always talk about those possible rumors about people getting signed and coming in. And, yeah. and you know, somebody yeah. coming up from NXT to yeah. challenge. Yeah. So it's a lot of time to do it. I just think that they want to do that one, especially if it's going to be in front of a live crowd. Yep. They're going to want to deliver a big main event for that one. And that's why oh, I think sure. they, they deliver Rollins versus well, Roman that one.
1: Especially since the rumors are they are looking at Madison Square Garden for SummerSlam. Oh.
0: Well, do we take the ODPH on the road that hey. day? Do we now? Uh, but there's going to be so many storylines coming out of this one. I cannot wait to watch this card. I'm actually somewhat excited for Backlash. Somewhat. There's a couple matches out there, like I yeah. said. Give me Bianca Belair versus Bailey all day for a Backlash show stealer. Yeah. I'm here for that. And Cesaro versus Roman. <laughs> Just give it to me. I'm definitely excited for that. And that is going to be taking place this Sunday on the Peacock Network, 7 Mm -hmm. p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. So definitely tune in. We'll be live tweeting. I know we're not going to be doing the live streams for that, but I'll be live tweeting on OD Parlay Hour. Pat will be jumping in. Yeah. And so definitely you want to be interacting with us. We got a great Twitter podcast community that likes to talk a lot of wrestling. Shout out to SWO Productions. Shout out to Lou from Python Comics. Shout out to Punch the Timeline. They do jump in. We got a big thread that we'd like to invite everybody in to join in. So yeah. definitely check us out on Sunday and then hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Pod, what is your predictions for WrestleMania backlash? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: My name is Nicholas Haskins and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the fifth annual live stream for The Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick.
0: Over the past four years, the live stream for The Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute.
1: That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer.
0: This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the
1: air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference.
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and there's a lot of NFL news to break down. Yeah. We were going to try to save it for one-shots, but we decided to just throw a couple stories together for you to break down and dissect the National Football League in. Yeah.
1: And kicking off, Pat. Uh, This one, I know you've been amping and chomping at the bit to talk about. Uh, This one came as somewhat of a surprise. I know it had been rumored. Oh, it's a big surprise for me. Uh, I I say somewhat of a surprise because there were rumors that this uh, former NFL player was looking at making a comeback and making a switch from his position. He's played probably his entire football career. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't have stats in front of me going back that far. Uh, but presumably he's played that position his entire life and was looking at making a switch to a tight end. And we're like, okay, people were talking about you making that move years ago when you were drafted in the nfl but now you're just getting around to it uh and that is one timothy tebow who was it was announced or kind of speculated that he was trying to make an nfl return uh as a tight end uh, and lo and behold it looks like he isn't going to be having to wait very long to figure out who he's playing for and he looks like he's going to sign uh with the jacksonville jaguars uh to, he's expected to sign with them uh either late this week or early next week to play tight end uh so and according to an article from espn.com Uh, quote, a position he never played in high school, college, or his previous three-year NFL career, a source confirmed to ESPN. So Tebow time's coming back, baby. All right. Can you imagine that call on Sunday from like Joe Buck, uh, Lawrence to Tebow touchdown. That'd be wild.
0: It's 2021 folks, man. They're going to sell a lot of tickets. Everything's up for grabs. This move as one of the biggest Tim Tebow fans you'll see. Because, Facts. because I have been a fan of him since Florida. I am very puzzled by this move. And what I mean by this is, obviously, when he was at Florida, one of the most dominant quarterbacks in all of college football. I'm to just point that out, college. And Urban Meyer was his head coach. Great success down there. And this led to the Mystique of Tebow. obviously, when he was drafted in the NFL. Thought he went a little too high in the first round to the Denver Broncos. But he did lead them to the playoffs and one win. Let us remember this. Obviously, the career did not go that much further. He wound up with the New York Jets for a quick hiccup, uh-huh, Patriots for
1: like a preseason.
0: Yes, and the big it was thing, with the Eagles for and,
1: like a preseason.
0: Yeah, and the big thing about him was he did not want to go away from being a quarterback. He wanted the opportunity to win that job, and he does have one playoff win under his belt as a quarterback.
1: Like, yep. That's one thing I'm just uh, going to stress. Uh, that was under the Denver Broncos. Uh, that was with the Denver Broncos against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I remember that very vividly because I was going into overtime. The NFL had just invoked the new overtime rules for the playoffs, and I went, "Oh, sweet, we're going to see these rules." off right right off the bat and game's over
0: yes so we all have to kind of remember that and then obviously when football phased out he decided to go play baseball for the new york mets we saw him here in town at the 607 playing for the binghamton rumble ponies and then it was going away and then we thought he'd be doing more commentary for the sec right and now suddenly he's back in the nfl playing football
1: yeah i would say i know he was doing some stuff with college game day, but I think he was primarily on the SEC network doing mm-hmm. their, like, pregame college game day stuff.
0: Right. So this move is very puzzling to me unless he feels, and, I, and listen, I'm not going to tell anybody not to go chase your dreams. I think he didn't want his narrative to end the way it did in the NFL. No. He's always been a football player at heart. This has been his ambition that I think he wanted to prove people that he could go do it. The only thing I question is, at this stage in the game, Mm-hmm. He's never played tight end
1: before. Yeah, he's 33 years old. He's 33 years old, and what is he going to really bring to that team now? Especially when uh, again, according to the article from ESPN.com, uh, the quote: "The Jaguars already have eight tight, or excuse me, five tight ends on their roster uh, in Chris Manhurts, James O'Shaughnessy, Luke Farrell, Ben Elfson, and Tyler Davis."
0: Well, I think what you get with him is one, you're going to get star power because he does he does bring a fan base with him. That's true. So you'll have that there, which is not bad for Jacksonville, which needs something to get that franchise some energy. Sorry, just calling it like I see it. I know you have Trevor Lawrence, and no, there will not be a quarterback competition for this. <laughs> I will laugh hysterically on this show if Tebow beats out Lawrence for the job, if they even have that entertaining if that, idea.
1: If that even happens, every supposed – draft expert should quit
0: yes facts there there's just no, there's no chance it's going to happen but what i think he's going to do is for whatever reason he's converting finally to tight end because as pat touched upon the patriots wanted him to do that mm-hmm. the jets even wanted him to do
1: it if i'm not mistaken. There was even talk of him doing that going into the draft when he was drafted because one of the biggest issues i guess you could say with him was the long delivery he had when he went to throw a football because it's a baseball motion it's you know it's not the quick quick and crisp you know snap throw you see from some guys it was kind of the long winding all right it's starting down by like i remember they had a whole mm-hmm. thing on sports center about it with like it's down by his hip and then it comes all the way back and all the way up and in that time he's already gotten his head taken off by a defensive end
0: exactly there's a certain dynamics he needs to have to be an nfl quarterback that if he had the time to really develop those, maybe he would have got there. Maybe, I'm not saying it was going to happen because he had a, a motion much like Phillip Rivers. So that being said, well, maybe not less sidearm, but it was still the, oh, win- yeah, yeah, the yeah. winding the motion, the long windup. Yeah. So, so that being said, this move is very puzzling about what he's going to bring to the table now, and is he going to be the Tebow of old? Yeah. I th- but I think that he is an athlete through and through. Yeah. So I could see it working, and obviously nobody knows him better than Urban Meyer. True. But the question is, you're not facing the teams from the SEC. You're facing the NFL. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different ball of wax up here. So can Tebow adapt enough, and especially for a rookie quarterback? I don't care how good Lawrence is. He's still a rookie in the NFL. He's going to need his tight end who has always been a security blanket for that position for young quarterbacks uh-huh. to really develop and produce. Is he going to be the next George Kittle? Probably not. Probably not. But can he at least do something productive on the field? I think so, and I think that
1: that's why this contract for being one year is low-risk, high-reward. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's totally low-risk, high-reward because, let's face it, if it doesn't work out, you know, he got paid. It's no real huge – it's no huge financial loss for the Jaguars. I mean, if, if anything, they're going to get a big benefit from him being there. Uh, did a quick Google Google Maps search. University of Florida is only – an hour and is only like 74 miles away from uh, where the Jaguars play. So it's basically in the backyard.
0: Yeah, it's a backyard you game for
1: them. It, it's very heavy uh, Tebow fans down there.
0: Yes, and since they don't have any seating restrictions – They'll pack that place out.
1: Yeah, especially you look at their home opponents this year. Uh, They are scheduled to play, obviously, Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Houston, because, well, in the same division. But they're also scheduled to play the Buffalo Bills at home, the Miami Dolphins, Arizona Cardinals, 49ers, and the Denver Broncos uh, at home this year. And then they're scheduled to play at home, or excuse me, away. Again, Tennessee, Indian, Houston uh, away. But then they'll play the Patriots away, uh, play up in New York against the Jets, uh, out in Los Angeles against the Rams, up in Seattle, and then... Out in Cincinnati for their away games.
0: I mean, I'll be rooting for him, but I just don't get the move, though. No, and I'll, let me rephrase it, I'll root for him, I guess, until he plays the Bills. This is true. Then I'll be booing him out of the building, just for three hours. I mean,
1: I get it. Like, if he thinks he's got more in the tank and he doesn't, want, he thinks doesn't want his football career to end the way it did. I get it, but it's just it's a very confusing move to go. Oh, I because the last time he played in the NFL was in a I believe that was like a 2015. According again, according to the article, was like a 2015 uh, NFL preseason game. Yeah. So like it's been you know six years. It's been six years, and and in that time, he's been a commentator on the SEC network and then playing minor league baseball. So, like, his focus hasn't entirely, at least to our knowledge, maybe he's been doing workouts off and on during that time just to keep fresh and, and keep ready to go in case a team ever called, you know, because he's never formally submitted his retirement papers, at no, least to my at least to my knowledge. No, he was just
0: let go, and he just never yeah. – they never followed. He kept the door open, Yeah, I'm sure he entertained offers. And who else
1: was going to bring him back but Urban? Yeah, no, I mean, that's about the only person at this point who would, I think. Yeah,
0: and that's because of the old college connection. But still, I even question that because Urban – he's not the same Tebow you coached at Florida, the one you national championships. No, he's not. So I understand you want to be loyal to your guys, but you also have to
1: realize you're not living in that era anymore. No, I mean, it's one thing to bring him in, in some sort of like minor coaching possession, just to kind of like get a, get his foot in the door with some coaching stuff. It's an entirely different thing to bring in a former quarterback who hasn't quarterbacked in six years, you know, and, and, Put him in a position that, yes, he's a football player. He's a great college football player. Was a decent NFL player, but to bring him in and have him play a position that, according to the article, he's never played.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how this pans out. I just don't really see this being a home run. No, just putting it out there.
1: No. Uh, And then some other NFL news. It looks like we're already seeing a trickle-down effect from the Aaron Rodgers, Green Green Bay Packers uh, drama because according to an article from ESPN.com, it looks like uh, the first player it could affect is uh, the Packers' all pro wide receiver Devontae Adams. Uh, The article says, quote, Adams is in the final year of his contract, and if his quarterback is done in Green Bay, then it would complicate things for Adams in Wisconsin. Potentially, potentially, that's my guy, Adams said Monday during an appearance on Fox Sports Radio. That's the only guy I've had other than that 2017 season when he got hurt. That's the only guy that I've played with. We've built up a special connection over the years that has put us both in really good positions in our career. Not that he needed me uh, to come along for it because he was already in that spot, but we've established a lot together. So it would change a lot. Doesn't mean potentially I'd be gone, but I definitely have to do some extra thinking if my guy wasn't there. Close quote.
0: He's putting some pressure on the organization
1: to make uh-huh. a move.
0: Smart move. Uh huh. Because, like we touched upon last week, this is going to be a trend-setting move moving forward with the NFL. Uh-huh. If you're going to let the players run the asylum, the GM is gone. Yep. If you're going to be stuck in your ways and not willing to compromise, Aaron Rodgers is gone, and that is going to be the biggest PR nightmare you've ever experienced in the Green Uh, Bay history. It's going to be worse
1: than Favre. It is.
0: Oh, absolutely it will be, because you have arguably an MVP-caliber quarterback, year in and year out, who has Mm -hmm. carried your franchise on your back when you've given him absolutely nothing to work with. First
1: ballot Hall of Famer.
0: And yet... You're willing to be stuck in your ways, not give him any help, and force him out of town. And now his star players are also saying, "Okay, we're going to leave as well." Yeah. Not publicly, but they're saying, "Listen, that's something to consider." Because nothing against Mr. Love, who is waiting in the wings to take over. But you're not exactly instilling people to sign with Green Bay.
1: No, I mean, because let's face it: if you, if you, and if they end up losing Aaron Rodgers, putting in Jordan Love is a step down. Yeah, facts. Like, I get Jordan Love, very good player in college, but Jordan Love ain't no Aaron Rodgers until he shows me otherwise. So having uh, Devontae Adams there is fine. It's good for him because, hey, that's a guy he can throw to that he knows will be there.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: But you take that away, and all of a sudden he's got to depend on guys like Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, who's not bad, and he's okay. You know, late-round fantasy pickup if you you play fantasy. But he's not exactly, you know, first five rounds. Uh, and then he's also got, you know, gonna have Alan Lazard. Again, if you're really scraping the barrel and needing a wide receiver for your bench, you might draft him, but he's not a top five guy. That's gonna really hurt him. Like there's only so many there's only so many times Aaron Jones can run the ball. Like <laughs> he needs somebody to throw to and Devontae Adams is it. If you lose Devontae, you're gonna make things very hard for Jordan Love if he ends up being the quarterback.
0: Yeah, so there's so many questions you gotta ask, and now the organization really needs to make a move because once one player starts speaking, more are going to start speaking. And let's face it, Aaron Rodgers is the face of your organization. They know what they get with him, and they know how short a football career can be. You're in a position to win now. you got to win now. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're willing to sit there and argue about this this is one of the weirdest stories I think I've heard involving a sports team.
1: And especially for one of the more storied franchises in the sport. No oh, facts. The, the, like this is the equivalent of if you're an NBA fan, something like this happening with like the Lakers or the Celtics, you know, in baseball, this is like, if something were to happen with like the Yankees or the Dodgers, mm-hmm. you know, NHL, it's like something happening with like the Red Wings or, or even the Rangers. They're like, this just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, no, this just does not happen. But, Green Bay now is in a very big problem area uh-huh. right now. I think there's the only thing. They have a lot to work through. They're going to have the eyes of the sports world watching them because in the NFL, like we've touched upon, they've never been known to be a player's league. No. It's always been ran by the organizations. Now if a player can cause a GM to get fired mm-hmm. and say cause, because let's face it, it's basically been leaked out enough. Yeah. Allegedly, that's the only way Roger stays is the GM is gone. Mm-hmm. So now Green Bay has more pressure because if you lose Rodgers, you're going to lose Adams.
1: And, you're, there, and there goes your guaranteed uh, division win. Yeah,
0: so you're going to go spiral out of control. So It's going
1: to be a rough – if Rodgers leaves and then Devontae leaves, it's going to be a rough few years.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if they're in the situation to follow up about that. They're
1: definitely going down a road that they're not exactly comfortable with, and they're looking for an exit, but there's not anyone in sight.
0: Absolutely. And the follow-up to follow up too, the NFL schedule is rumored to get dropped this
1: week. Uh, I believe it's on Wednesday night.
0: Yes, so we'll be retweeting that when it drops.
1: Any early predictions about who's getting the Thursday and
0: Sunday night games?
1: Well, obviously, this uh, Thursday night game, first game of the season, is obviously the defending champs, you know, the whole banner ceremony. So that's going to be the Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, their home opponents are listed as, and this is according to, well, Buccaneers.com, Uh, Their home opponents are listed as, uh, in I presume alphabetical order, I'm not sure, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, and the Chicago Bears. Um, Out of that list, mm, probably Buffalo. I I think that'd be an intriguing. As much as it might suck for you, just Josh Allen, the dynamic offense that Buffalo's got, a young up-and-comer, old-hand Tom Brady, you know, be an interesting matchup to have opening night.
0: I've been hearing rumblings that that is going to be the opening match Ooh. that Thursday. Uh-huh. I don't have any official confirmation. Let's just say I have a lot of uh, water cooler talk, so to speak, as the schedule is getting announced that that is who Tampa Bay is going to get lined up with first week. Uh, otherwise I was going to say, I wouldn't doubt Dallas possibly.
1: Uh, yeah, I could see Dallas. I mean, you got Dak making his return health, you know, hopefully a hundred percent healthy. Dallas, Dallas makes sense. Although I can see Dallas being the Sunday night game because well, Dallas and the
0: Giants. That's what I was going to say. Like that would that, be that's only, NBC's favorite. That would be the only other scenario I could see playing out because I mean, let's face it, Dallas and the Giants is always much watched TV, and to see them on a primetime stage is always even heightened up that much more. So I will have to say I think the Bills are getting Thursday night, which bring it on. I mean, obviously you got to beat everybody to get to the Super Bowl anyway, so you know we got to get through one game at a time, and let's see what the Bills got and. I'm just excited that we're going to be hearing about the schedule this week, kind of plan out what's going to happen. And I would have to say that on that who Tampa was supposed to face, like that's the matchup I think would make the most box office.
1: Yeah. Like, Like I said, If New Orleans were still there, or New Orleans were still there, if Drew Brees were still there, that would be the matchup to do. Yeah. That, like, potentially one last – like, if Drew Brees were – because I think he still had one year left on his contract before he decided to retire. You know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you know, one last time type of deal. Like, that would make the most sense, but he's not there, so it's probably going to end up being Buffalo.
0: It probably will, unless, of course, they to put Daniel Jones down there. I just want to see Coach Feed him that. to the wolves. Yeah, I want to see Coach Duffy's reaction about that. A lot of NFL news breaking this week, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Tim Tebow signing the Jacksonville? Tebow stuff, time stuff I did not think I would say in 2021. What is your thoughts about the whole Aaron Rodgers soap opera going on? It's box office to watch outside looking. As in. the
1: Rodgers turns.
0: Yes. And the NFL schedule is dropping. When it drops, I want to know how everybody's feeling about their schedules. You can hit us up at ODParlayHour, and all of our social media links are right there in the bio. So definitely hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe?
3: Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt eye stuff at the gas station?
0: Well, then look, no further. We
3: present to you
0: Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market.
3: All right, all right. We drink and we pretend
0: we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink.
3: We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about
1: with lots of fun facts about beer.
3: And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie.
0: Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Time to start that local minipad.
1: Yeah, I gotta talk some Binghamton Rumble Ponies news because they started the season last week, uh, like we mentioned on the episode last week, and after having a ridiculous Ridiculous six-game, well, five-game because the six-game got uh, rained out due to inclement weather. Uh, Five-game away stand up in Akron, where we won't talk about that record. No,
0: we like positivity here.
1: Yikes. They return home tonight, as we record, uh, that is on uh, May 11th, uh, to play a six-game series against the Altoona Curve. Uh, So the game tonight, the game times are as follows. Uh, On May 11th, game time is 635 Eastern. Uh, on May twelfth, six thirty-five Eastern, and then on the thirteenth, also six thirty-five Eastern. Uh Friday, April May 14th, game time is seven oh five Eastern. Saturday, May fifteenth is six thirty-five Eastern. And then Sunday, May sixteenth, game time, one oh five Eastern. Uh more information, Bingrp.com.
0: Right on. So definitely excited to go root on the Rumble ponies this yeah. year. And definitely get down to some games, man. Yeah. Excited for that for summertime. Yeah. Nothing beats that. Nothing at all.
1: Yep. So let's round those bases and take the show home, Pat. Yeah, I got to keep it with baseball because a couple things to talk about. One, I was going to lead off with until something broke as we were recording, on I went, "Yo, holy sugar cookies!" Uh, according to Jeff Passan from uh, ESPN.com, uh, it looks like the Oakland A's might be looking at relocating to another stadium. Uh, in in another town, city, or even potential state.
0: This is nuts.
1: Yeah, so the article reads, quote, uh, the Oakland Athletics will start exploring the possibility of relocating with the blessing of Major League Baseball, a move that could put pressure on local government officials to green light a new stadium project that has spent years in limbo, sources uh, familiar with the situation told ESPN. Uh, So, yeah, basically the article goes on to say that the Oakland A's have been looking at getting a new ballpark, new waterfront ballpark, uh, for quite a number of years that just for various reasons has never been greenlit, never been down, uh, put down to happen. Uh, you know, the team uh, went to the city council vote with a $12 billion mixed use developmental deal. Uh, we're trying to get it done. It just hasn't been done. So now Major League Baseball and the team are putting a little pressure on them saying, hey, if you want to start looking at other cities to potentially play in, that's perfectly fine. And we give hey. you, we give you that green light now. Admittedly, the Coliseum used to be, if you look up old photos, was a pretty nice stadium. And then the Raiders came in and turned it into a dump where no batter has won a batting title in quite some time because, well, look at how big the foul grounds are. So that being said, I thought once the Raiders left, that, oh, hey, you can remodel that stadium and bring it back to kind of some of its old former glory. Not knowing this this deal was they were trying to get done for a new stadium, which w- admittedly wouldn't be farts. The new stadium they're looking at building is Waterfront in downtown Oakland, so you're not moving anywhere. You're just moving addresses, you know, but they just can't get it done. And now Major League Baseball has said, hey, listen, if you can't get a new stadium done and you really want to move, you can move cities. Uh, and apparently, again, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN.com, one of the leading candidates to potentially land uh, the athletics should they choose to leave is uh, one Las Vegas.
0: Oakland will go absolutely bat crazy mm-hmm. if they move to Vegas with the athletics
1: yeah I mean because admittedly the Coliseum is rather old it's 55 years old now so it's it's seen a lot of time I mean, it needs a little bit of facelift if not something else new entirely oh no, absolutely but pressures on the Oakland city council now I'm Cause, telling I'm because let's not forget The Athletics are now the only team left in Oakland. You've got the Golden State Warriors who were playing like across the street from the Coliseum. They've gone across the bay and they're they're in San Francisco now. You've got the Raiders who were playing at the Coliseum are in Vegas now. So now the only team you got left is the A's.
0: Oakland is not the fan base you want to do this to.
1: Didn't Marshawn say something similar when they were trying to convince the the city council to not let the Raiders go? Where he was like, the Warriors left... The Raiders are leaving. He's like, if the A's leave, you're going to regret it.
0: Yes. He said
1: something to that. To
0: paraphrase, and I fully agree. We have seen, and I do want to applaud those Oakland Athletic fans in the stands because they get after it uh-huh. during games. Uh-huh. Especially when uh, certain asterisks come into town. Fuck them. Yes. They they definitely gave him a warm welcome, so we definitely approve them here on the ODPH. I'm Like I said, I would not be so, like, let them go that easily to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Like you have fans there that are passionate about your team and they want to see teams stay there. Yeah. Do the work. Make this happen. Like, this is just absolutely mind boggling to me that you're going to let them walk out. And then, like I say, it, it will not be pretty. Yeah, no. It and, will not be pretty no. if they leave.
1: And, and ESPN did reach out to Oakland Mayor uh, Libby Schaff uh, for comment, and uh, she did not return ESPN's messages. Uh, And the article goes on to say, quote, the athletics lease at Ring Central Coliseum runs through 2024 and rebuilding at the Coliseum site, seen by some as a possibility, is not a viable option for the future vision of baseball, uh, the league said in a statement. uh, The league said, quote, Uh, MLB is concerned with the rate of progress on the A's new ballpark effort with the local officials and other stakeholders in Oakland. The A's have worked very hard to advance a new ballpark in downtown Oakland for the last four years, investing significant resources while facing multiple roadblocks. We know they remain deeply committed to succeeding in Oakland and with two other sports franchises recently leaving the community, their their commitment to Oakland is now more important than ever. The Oakland Coliseum site is not a viable option for the future vision of baseball. We have instructed the athletics to begin to explore other markets while they continue to pursue a waterfront ballpark in Oakland. The athletics need a new ballpark to remain competitive. So it is now in our best interest to also consider other markets. Close quote.
0: Like I say, this would be a very, very bad mistake if Oakland lets them leave.
1: Yeah, no, like, like they said, you know, the uh, owners and the, Folks that be with the athletics have invested a lot of time, a lot of money into that city. When let's face it, uh, Oakland ownership is very frugal. They're they're very they, they're penny pinchers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the money ball is not an exaggeration. They do not spend large, so they've spent a lot of time, money, and effort. And it's like, hey, I'm extending my hand out a certain amount of length. You know, you got to give yours back the same distance.
0: here. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully, cooler heads prevail and Oakland yeah. stays. But. They leave, man. Yep. It's going to be ugly. ugly.
1: It's going to be weird. it be real weird. Uh, switching over to what I was going to lead off with, because la- uh, last week it was announced that the Los Angeles Angels were designating uh, all-star slugger Albert Pujols for assignment, which, for those of you who don't know, designating a player for assignment means they're cutting you. So the like I said the all the ten time All Star two time World Series champion three time uh, MVP who currently has I think he's singing like fifth place uh, all time mm-hmm. for home runs with s- right. six hundred he's got six hundred and sixty seven home runs all time uh, he's got three thousand two hundred and fifty three hits all time potentially might have played his last game in the ma- in the majors uh, because the only team that plausibly you could s- consider looking at bringing him in now is the Chicago White Sox because, well, they're managed by Tony La Russa, a gentleman he's very familiar with and is on very good terms with. Uh, La Russa has come out and said, no, nah, we don't really have any space for him on our roster. Uh, but then you also have the uh, glaring issue of he's allegedly uh, 41 years old, uh, just turned allegedly 41 in January of this year. And the reason I say allegedly is well, supposedly some papers might have gotten fudged. Yeah. So allegedly he's 41, might be a little older. I just unless it's something late in the postseason and some you know down towards the end of the year. And you got a team that's in postseason contention or like on the cusp, and they got a player go down in the American League because I cannot see him going to the National League and having to field on top of batting because let's face it, he's not that good defensively anymore. No. He, he's he's a defensive he's he's a rod at the end of his career when he was playing. He's a designated hitter. So unless somebody in the American League needs a bat off the bench or somebody goes down and they just need a, a spot to fill, and hey, this is a guy who's good in the postseason. I can't see him playing again.
0: No, I think it's the end of the road. Sad to say, but I think that he's at that stage now. I mean, Father, yeah. father Time caught up with him. Mm-hmm. No shame about no. that legendary career. Yeah, but i going to get in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, exactly. So let's wait to see what happens moving forward, but I think yep. he's done. So that being said, for my one shots, uh, let's see. Kicking off a little NBA, we we were waiting to hear from Coach Duffy, but he's on radio silence. Like I think that we just get blue and orange memes sent back to us saying yeah. forever. So I'm going to save the NBA talk for next week for the playoffs, but we definitely have to acknowledge one Russell Westbrook, who is now the all-time leader of triple doubles in the NBA. Wow! Yes, congratulations! Well, yes, congratulations indeed. 182 of them. Oof. So he That's is he's the all-time triple-double leader. So congratulations out to him, the Washington Wizards player. Yeah. Uh, definitely was really just so humble about it too, and just. Plays hard, and you know what? He got the acknowledgement from everybody else in the league, and rightfully so. So, he got
1: a little standing ovation because they were playing in Atlanta last night when he got it. The, he, the fans, it got announced in this uh, arena what happened, and the fans gave him a little bit of a standing ovation.
0: Yeah, I mean, he definitely mentioned everybody else before him. They got him like uh, Oscar Robinson, yeah. Magic Johnson, yeah. Jason Kidd. So, he definitely was really very humble about the moment and definitely just embraced it. And yeah. it, was a, it was a cool moment to see. Like, I like Russell, I, I like how he plays the game. So, you know, congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, flipping very quickly to hockey. This Saturday, playoffs are kicking off for the Stanley Cup. So, Washington, Boston, yeah, Washington. Boston and Washington mm. see are, are kicking off May 15th 7:15 Eastern Standard Time. So hockey is happening for all those that are following that are not Ranger fans because we have fuck both of those teams. Yeah, exactly. Like I say the luster is gone when the Rangers leave for the playoffs, but we'll bounce back next year. I know we took a we took a very bad PR week last week to say the least. But but we'll be all right. So I know that that's kicking off.
1: Although you although you did have however many other teams minus a team in Washington rooting for the Rangers. Yes, exactly. So fuck
0: the Capitals. Exactly. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. And my last bit of news as well. Going to end with some boxing. Because I know we don't really talk too much about the sweet science, but there is a couple moments that definitely needed to get mentioned. So this past weekend was the big fight between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders. Okay. So now if you're not sure, okay, why was this such a big fight? Canelo right now is the pound-for-pound pound guy and definitely is a force of nature in his own right. 56-1 and one and 2, 38 KOs. Billy Joe Saunders, 30-1 and one now mm. uh, with 14 knockouts. So this was a fight for the fighters in their prime. So this is something that meant a lot in boxing. Let's say this wasn't two guys fighting when they should have fought like 10 years ago. Correct. So this is something that... As a fight fan, you're excited to see, and Canillo stopped him in the eighth round. I mean, depending on how you judge it on the scorecard, Canillo was up four to three on the going into the eighth round, and he got him with a with a nasty uppercut, got that eye swelling shut. It was not good, and uh, the coroner said that Saunders couldn't see out of the right eye, so they stopped it before they got to round nine. So Canillo has answered that. Obviously, still dominating at his age. I mean, both these guys, like I say, Canelo is 30. Saunders is 31. So, guys in their prime. So, is this going to be enough to steal away from the UFC moving forward? Doubtful. But for the purists that still love the sport, it's a great thing. And Triple G still won both fights against Canelo. I don't want to put that on record, too.
1: So, until boxing simplifies the belt system, I don't think they'll ever beat UFC.
0: No, I don't, I, they have a lot of work to do. But this was at least for fights for somebody that does watch boxing I know we don't talk about it online here because, for me, unless it's a fighters in their prime fighting each other, there's nothing really to be excited about. There, it just it not The UFC does a lot better for their matchmaking for the most part. But this is a situation that definitely needed to get mentioned, and that's why I say I, mean, I like watching Canola fight. I think he does a great job. I don't even care about what that bum was doing at the press conference after. <laughs> allegedly. So, you know, whatever. But to end also with more boxing news, it has been announced by their respective PR teams. Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua are going to be having their long-awaited bout either August 7th or August 14th. So they're nailing the date down. I believe it's going to be in Saudi Arabia. But they are going to be having that big boxing match that everybody's waiting to see for the heavyweight division. So uh, definitely interesting for that. I think Fury takes this one. Right. not super impressed with Joshua. So we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. But that is some boxing news for you, Pat. Yeah. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. Fair City Fire formerly question mark. I think they're on hiatus right now. I believe so. But this Friday, as we are recording, Brian is back in town. Yeah. Ransom Steel Tavern. So you definitely want to go by and check him out if you're in the 607 area. Pad, where do they go to find out more about Brian Wolf? odphpodcast.com. Right on. You go swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Brian. He does those Patreon concerts on Wednesday night. You don't even need to be a patron. You can just go there. But if you're a patron, you can do the, pl- uh, the song list. He does do that once in a while. Yeah, yeah. So I know he's denied my request. Hmm, wonder why. Because like, I almost blew an amp. Yes, this is true. There's a long story behind that. If you go down to Ransom Steel Tavern, you could ask him. He'll tell you in person. But you can also check out everything going on with Brian, everything going on with Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, who has that fire new single, Twilight Zone out. And Tom will be on the ODPH at the end of the month talking about the new album coming out. Super excited to have him back in studio. You can also check out everything going on with Yard Party, Floodlands, Shout Out the Robots. Basically, if it's great music, you hear it here on the ODPH, you can swing on over there and check it all out. You can also check out The Directory, which has friends of the show and organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter, and all the amazing pod groups we are in via Pod Chaser. Because my rule, Pad, what is it? Uh, the one with the gold makes the rules. No, but close enough. No, it is if you're in a pod group and you're not on Pod Chaser, not really in a pod group. So definitely want to shout out our friends in the Apocalypse and the Inner Circle, and of course hashtag Six O Seven Podcasts, and our friends over at Eight One Two Two Productions, Rich, Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pad. Oh boy. Still roaming free and definitely doing a lot of stuff behind a Patreon wall that you need to go check out patreon.com slash 8122productions. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table. Anything else I don't want to know about because that's Diesel's business. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. And we will be live reacting to UFC this weekend on twitch.tv slash 67podcast. The button is right there on the front page. You can check that out. The T Public Store, which has the hottest shirt in independent podcasting, out right now. And rumor is there might be another sale going on. So for all of that, so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week.
1: So for the one and only Padawan Jay. Got a crazy stat for you here to close the show. Uh, Steph Curry is less than 100 three-pointers away from breaking uh, Ray Allen's career three-point made record. That's including playoffs. What makes this even wilder? Because we all figured he'd break it at some point. What makes it even wilder? Curry has played fewer than six has played six hundred fewer games than Ray Allen.
0: That's insane. Uh huh. That's absolutely insane. Bonkers. I'm your host, Kenan. Um, thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.